0: Hello, and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 105, and it is volume two of our look at some classic Joshi themes. And today I'm joined by my guest from volume one. He is the host of the True Penny Show, as well as an editor at Steel Chair Magazine, It's James Trupenny. Hello, James.
1: Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much. I'm having a wonderful day. It's March and I got to wear shorts today. That's never a bad thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, here in Massachusetts, it's been like in the 50s lately. So it looks like the weather is starting to turn here, um, which I like, you know, because, you know, no more puffy coat and no more hat, no more gloves. (laughs) So I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, spring and summer. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. It's it's been a long, cold winter here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, been a long, cold year in general. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's good to have you back on the show here. Thank you. Uh, it's been a while since you were on uh, a couple of years, actually. And um, I asked this to Garrett last time. Um, how have you been doing during the pandemic?
1: Um, it's it's not been the best of pandemics, unless they rarely are. Um, it's been. Pretty horrible, to be honest with you. Unfortunately, I lost my father just before Christmas, um, and I lost my aunt a week later. And COVID has not been kind to this part of the world. I've I've had COVID myself, and my friends had it. My work colleagues have had it. Thankfully, they're all okay, but they're suffering long term effects. It's not pleasant. Having said that, I've watched a lot of wrestling. I've written about a lot of wrestling. I've recorded loads of podcasts about wrestling. In fact, today I was recording a podcast called Today at which we've been doing, I have pretty much started doing last year to fill the hours, basically being sat at home with nothing to do. So every time New Japan do a big tour, like the best of super juniors on G1, I do a podcast called today at, and it started off as a little 10 minute podcast. And then my friend, Christy, who used to be a really big fan of New Japan has just recently got back into it. She said, I'll do them with you. And they went from these little 10 minute, like sports report things to hour and a half chats um <laughs> a big, big big deep in-depth storyline and character stuff which is kind of what we do really well and christy has also lost a parent to covid as well so it's kind of a bit of therapy for us to catch up as friends because we haven't spoken to each other in nearly about the same time as, as since i did this podcast um and get to fall back in love with new japan wrestling and
0: out of love with new japan wrestling uh, a little Ooh. bit as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, well, first of all, I am sorry for your loss. That That's just awful, having to, to go through all that. Um, as I know many people have had to go through because yeah. Yeah. of the pandemic around the world. But um, I'm glad you're keeping busy. That's for sure. That's an important thing to do. And, and wrestling can be that escape for a lot of people. Um, of course, it helps when the wrestling is good, mind you. Uh, <laughs> that, that helps a lot. Um, and you did mention uh, New Japan, uh, that's a, a real frustrating thing right now, I, I find, is, is the inconsistency of New Japan these days, where you, you watch one show, and it's like, man, what are they doing? They've lost the plot, it's not good anymore, and then you watch the next show, and it's like, oh my god, this is amazing, the match of your <laughs> contenders, oh my god, like, it's so it's so frustrating, that inconsistency, but... You know, then again, that's wrestling of all kinds. Over the years, wrestling it, it can be great, it can be downright awful, but you know, it's always been there for us through thick and thin, and that's something to appreciate at least. So that's it. It always was. But I watched um, Jay White
1: and Dave Finley this week, and I said to Christy at the time, my dad would love that match, and I'm glad I got to see it because it was his kind of match. Especially as as I did the math today and realized I've been watching the Finley family wrestle for 40 years now. And that made me feel really old. (laughs) (laughs) But in a good way,
0: I've had 40 years of Finlay's in my life. How awesome is that? Yeah, there's four generations of those guys. So there's been a lot of them, that's for sure. (laughs) Um, Now, if I remember correctly, you're also a music teacher, right? That is. I'm not teaching as much music as I used to, as you can probably imagine. Yeah, I was wondering about that. (laughs) Like, Do you have lessons still over Skype or whatever? Yeah, exactly that. I do Skype lessons private teaching-wise which I
1: can do anyone in the world. So if anyone would like a guitar lesson, you can uh, s- send me a note on Twitter at Sheriff Flunsa and, and I will quite happily charge you money to teach you how to play guitar. Um, I, my school work, I'm in and out of one school because they don't want people who are going from school to school, obviously. So I had some time off from that, but I got back to that a couple of weeks ago. The main school I work for, I'm not teaching music because we're not allowed to sing in school because obviously to be blunt splitting and breathing on each other is not good in this particular situation. Um, and we can't do music the way we used to. So we kind of have to sit there with laptops and beat out tunes, which isn't, doesn't require as much as my support as it used to. <laughs> and I can't be everywhere. I can only, only allow it in one room. So I've got my class and one of the classes I deal with and that's it. So not as much music-y stuff as I used to, but I have played a lot of guitar. As you will today, of course you have yes. the guitar at the ready here. So yes, I, I've got my Ibanez, I I actually purchased this guitar um, just before lockdown, or just after lockdown, the first one. And it's an Ibanez RG350, which is kind of ideal for what we're talking about today because this guitar was designed around about the time these women were leaving the dojo, the majority of them anyway. (laughs) And uh, it's um,
0: nice and metal, this guitar. Yeah, sounds great, man. I mean, I know when I have Chris Nombrino on the show, he brings his guitar at times, too. So um, I do like having the guitarists on to you know play a few notes here and there. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Um, well, uh, anyway, James, uh, it is March, International Women's Month. And uh, back in 2019, I had you on to discuss some classic Joshi wrestling themes. And now you're back for round two here. Um, it's funny, uh, in between your appearances uh, for March of last year, I did an episode about ruthless aggression WWE diva themes, uh, which as far as like the wrestling goes... It's a rather far cry from the world of classic Joshi, I think. Because <laughs> no Brian Penny's matches for Akira Hokuto or, or Minami Toyota. No, no mud matches for Kyoko NOA, I don't think they're James. So <laughs> No, no.
1: no, It's not their thing, really. But so I did have a conversation. With, well, the other thing the other day, I was an indie wrestler called Aspen, and she posted a picture of her. It was a, it was a selfie. And she showed her knees. And somebody was like, oh, good Lord, woman. <laughs> Come Cover up that table leg, odor. it's releasing my sexual adder. It was like, calm down. It's somebody's knees. And I was thinking back, I actually posted a bunch of stuff that they did kind of like, you know, some of the classic Joshi women did actually do cheesecake video shoots and photo shoots that the Crush Girls did loads of swimsuits because they basically wore swimsuits all the time. And when they weren't wearing swimsuits, they were wearing double denim. Um, So, because it was the (laughs) 80s. Um, And so, you know, it's the basic principles of the stardom look, if you will, a woman who can wrestle really well and looks good in a bikini has kind of its roots in the 90s wrestling. Certainly, Bikini Kudo is probably the the highest profile of the women that kind of that that kind of way of thinking. It wasn't really, though, as sexual objects, it's kind of in the way of the, the videos and and uh books that wrestlers today do it was kind of just like nice kind of innocent really pictures not to say that you know there was some sexual exploitation going on i'm sure there was but equally they were independent women who were making a living doing the things they wanted to do so I, there's balance there
0: yeah i mean nowadays they still lean into the, the model side of things with joshi with the various photo shoots and photo books and and there is i think definitely a more uh overtly sexual aspect to it too with some of the racier sets. Um, but yeah, back then, from what I've seen anyway, there wasn't as much uh, titillation as there would be later on from like the 2000s onward.
1: No, and also, it, I would also say AJW specifically were kind of a wholesome product. Like, the women involved couldn't smoke, couldn't take drugs, couldn't have boyfriends, couldn't go out. You know, if you would, especially if they were younger, when they got older a little bit, they had a bit more freedom because they were kind of the boss, but they had enough sense to not do those kind of things because they were um looking after their own interests really. you know, they were looking after being top of the card. So there was there was, it was kind of trying to be as wholesome and appeal to as many people by not offending. You know, it was like eighties WWE in the sense of it was a big cartoon that everyone could buy into. And that was kind of the similar thing with AJW, but it was just more athletic and with deeper themes, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for this episode, I did watch a bunch of matches on YouTube, and I'll bring them up as I go along here, because uh, there are just a lot of matches sitting on YouTube for free, and they're <laughs> awesome. And I have been meaning to watch a lot more Joshi, a lot more classic Joshi anyway, uh, recently, but um, this episode did give me a nice kick in the butt to do so, because uh, c- it's weird. Like, there's a lot of wrestling I'm, I've been meaning to go back and watch or rewatch, like uh, classic Joshi or uh, 90s All Japan. 2000s ROH, and it's right there online. I know how to get it, but I get like this anxiety that there's too much of it to watch, along with current wrestling and and movies and and TV shows and books and podcasts and and work and all that stuff. So it's weird. I want to watch it, but there's so much that I want to get to that I get this pit in my stomach (laughs) that I don't have enough time. Um, Do you ever feel that way at all, James? I I think so. I, I mean, for me,
1: it was kind of like, it, it was kind of the culture I grew up in. So like, as far as being a music fan is concerned, I couldn't afford to buy records every month. So I would go to the library and order a record or a CD, and it would come in, and they were trying to build their music collection up. So pretty much anything I asked for, they would get. So like, my library had like Soul Asylum and Huskadoo and all these Minnesotan punk bands that I liked, because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'd asked for them. And so when I was younger, it was like trying to troll through five videos, getting them at wrestling shows, one thing or another. So for me, it's kind of like i will pour up with a lot to watch a wrestling show. Okay. <laughs> um, so it's it's harder for me, but there are becoming more and more avenues to to find it because of like the amount of people write about historic wrestling now. There's some great Twitter accounts to follow to to kind of guide you into the right places as well. And there's kind of experts in each promotions like uh, Brett, who uh, writes a lot about FMW, Brett, the FMW history website, you follow him and he'll give you loads of things. Roy Lucia as well, he's a, a great wrestling historian, he can guide you very well. Uh, if I may blow my own horn, my own show kind of has a guide, the, the Beginner's Guide to Japan, which looks at specifics shows and, and uh, kind of gives you a guide through them as well. We're doing one on Monday, actually which is a very kind of Japanese-British centric because someone has managed to do rips of the wrestling channel Gaia shows from the 19, early 2000s. So they had the contract with Gaia and one of my friends, Mo Chatra, who writes for the Daily Mail here and also wrote for Power Slam magazine at the time, did the commentary on them. So that Joshi Wrestling, and it's Mako Satomura and Devil Masami and Mayumi Ozaki and, you know, the gods of Joshi um, on promotions with English language commentary um, from Mo, who's great. And we're going to do a show about that on Monday. So, you know, you can you can find different avenues. And I understand what you mean about it being intimidating, because it is a, you can get a bit lost if you're not careful.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's up there on YouTube for free, so I better start watching it as soon as I can, (laughs) because who knows in this day and age how long those videos and channels are going to be up there for, because you mentioned Roy Lucier, his channel got nuked not too long ago. Um, Monsoon Classic got nuked. Uh, Cubs fans, Lucha Channel got the boot a few years ago. Like, the internet is just, it's this amazing thing where all sorts of wrestling can be at your fingertips, but it can all be taken away. Just like that, which yeah. doesn't help the anxiety, I don't think. But <laughs> <laughs> that's the give and take of the internet, I guess, James.
1: That, that's it. I mean, I had the neat trick of downloading lots of it when it was easy to download YouTube videos. So I have <laughs> DVDs full of the stuff, um, which I copied my dad because he wants to see it. And he he had no access to the internet nor any idea how to do it. So I've got two copies of them. So I, I, can, I can put them back on Google Drive eventually, I guess. <laughs> Uh, But for now, yeah, you kind of got to be, you kind of got to get into what's available, you know, that's, that's the thing. And I think that tends to guide like what people get back into something like the GIF accounts, what people pick up on. It's kind of like, there's also a bit of a blank area with Japanese wrestling where there was kind of an impression that it wasn't great. So like from around about 2005, when the Japanese economy comes to a grinding halt to around about 2012, when it starts to pick up again you can't find shows for anything because no one was interested in anything. <laughs> so it's like, and like the, the streaming services don't really cover that area because they aren't that interested either. Right. <laughs> so so it's kind of like you,
0: you're a bit stuck then, really. But yeah, there is some cool stuff out there. Yeah. So let's start things off here. Uh, we have seven themes to play and we'll begin with Aja Kong, who we just saw actually in the AEW Women's Eliminator Tournament. Uh, last time we talked about a Kong theme, uh, one of our more famous themes, which was Electric Eye by Judas Priest. But now we'll play the other well-known Aja Kong theme. This is off of the album Complete All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling. It's by Dennis Gunn and Yoshio Nomura. It's called Jungle Emperor. The devil just for fun, but when he wanted the real thing, he made Aja Kong. That might be the greatest line from a wrestling theme ever because it it just sums up Aja Kong to a T. She is the last person you want to wrestle. She's mean, she's scary, and she's going to hurt you. Like, even if the song was just that one line, it would still be a tremendous song, James. It's brilliant. It's perfect. It is absolutely perfect. It fits.
1: Everything about Aja Kong, just so well. You know, it is—it's the perfect line. She, of course, of course, the devil made Aja Kong. No one else could imagine. No, no human could imagine such a thing. You know, she is the wrestling's greatest monster heel. You know, you look at her and you look at monster heels today, and they're only just catching up with what she did. You know, and and as a person, she had so much. It was ten times harder for her than any of the people on this list, and she did it better than them Because she was not the classic wrestling style, she was not the classic wrestling beauty, and she had a gauging father, which
0: is always a setback in the environment she's going to be. In. Yeah, I mean, someone like her, with, with her background, as you said, you got to be tough to get through things, that's for sure. Um, and the funny thing is, like, yeah, she is this tough dangerous woman, the legendary Aja Kong, this feared monster. But overall, this song here is rather light-hearted in tone, I think. Like, it doesn't sound traditionally scary or dour. It's rather upbeat and fun. Uh, there's the away, 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 away part. Like, even the rest of the lyrics are quite wacky. Well, the Sahara was a jungle, till she ripped out all the trees. Then she looked up at the mountaintops. They all began to freeze. The sun gave her a cold until she set it on fire. Check and see it for yourself if you think that I'm a liar. It feels kind of like a children's song in a way, that that blatantly silly and cartoonish over-the-top imagery, uh, which again is an interesting choice given that it's Aja fucking Kong and <laughs> you don't think <laughs> of her as silly, really. Um, I mean, the song is fantastic, but it's a rather uh, curious dichotomy with the tone, James, you know? Yeah, I mean, as well, and when you go against that, the actual chord sequence
1: is a minor chord sequence. I'll play you the chord sequence in a second. So that's EGA. Oops, turned my volume off. That's EGA. It's E minor. It's a call and response, so it's kind of bluesy. And then it's got this offbeat rhythm to it, which is what makes it catchy. And it kind of reminds me very much of like, almost like a Jerry Reed song, like telling a story through the song. And then you've got this big epic chorus, not necessarily the way away away bits, but the, the length of the notes of the hell for such a long time. I think it's the Yoshio Nomura's vocals are like wailing away in the background. So it's kind of odd that it's from this storytelling place that's really accurate, but the delivery, especially uh, Dennis Gunn's delivery, is really dramatically overdramatic. And yeah, there's so much going on with this. <laughs> it's, it's just like, and then you realize what, the, what it, it was debuted at the, the Big Egg Universe show. It's the biggest rest, women's wrestling, all women's wrestling show of all time. And it was debuted for the final match of the V Top tournament where she wrestled Akira Hokuto. And she came out to that music and they spent a million dollars on her entrance alone. So it's like on the staging area that they used for it. They filled the egg dome. It was complex.
0: It was costly. There was fireworks. And so, yes, they should write a song for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, It's also obviously very different than Judas Priest is, of course, uh, which is full throttle heavy metal straight for the neck so a real stark difference there too um but regardless i wanted to have this on here because it's such an iconic theme and i wanted to start us off with it too because it's an all-timer james it's an all-timer
1: yeah i agree with you i think it's the most fun let's be honest it it's it kind of makes things a bit cartoony but as well they were trying to soften her edges at the time because they're going into this big cross promotional feud with everyone in Joshi. you know this is this is high stakes wrestling and i think there was kind of an if you look at the history of that ninety-three to ninety-five period, this was really intense stuff. And anything you could do to take the edge off it made it a bit more, you know, it wasn't so much of a dramatic slog. I mean, that, that show itself was a twelve hour, twenty-two <laughs> match epic that most people didn't finish till the end in class the whole day there. And it was hard work. We did it on the Troopany
0: show a couple of years ago, and I think it took us three hours to review every match. And it's funny, it's not just wrestling either. There was like kickboxing and, and shootboxing there too, and all this amateur stuff, and, and dwarf wrestling as well, and um, also there's Akira Hogato and Aja Kong, so it's it's a real eclectic mix, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, um, Animal Higuchi's daughter in a amateur wrestling uh, demonstration, which doesn't really quite work, because amateur rings are like three times the size of pro rings, so... so <laughs> It doesn't quite work the way you want it to. There were some things that were experimental, but they were trying to celebrate women's
0: wrestling and women's fighting generally, and that that we can support, especially in international women's Month. Up next, we'll look at the theme for Mima Shimoda, uh, best known for being one half of the tag team LCO with Etsuko Mita. Uh, LCO stands for Las Cachorras Orientales, which is Spanish for the Oriental Bitches which is just a tremendous name for a team. Uh, Mima's theme, which was also occasionally an LCO theme, is by Yasumitsu Shimizu off of, again, Complete All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling. This is Mima the Sensation. This is not like Aja Kong's theme at all. It's, it's a much more straightforward, classic 80s, 90s pro instrumental with the rock guitars and the synth mix. has a great guitar solo in there, a little bit of the traditional East Asian flavor too. So it's not a song that will stand out all that much amongst the many others like it, but I think it's one that will always work, especially in that era, James.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is the, it's the kind of quintessential Joshi. 80s wrestling theme or 90s wrestling theme. It's it, it's it's an ode to like guitars like this one, the Floyd Rose guitar especially because of the way the tremolo works. I will give you a quick demonstration. I can make my tremolo make horrible, horrible noises because <laughs> it will just run the strings to slack like this. So there you see, you can do all sorts of. But, but you can do all sorts of things with a Floyd Rose tremolo and this has got Floyd Rose all over it. It's also got this incredible 80s, 90s guitar sound. And it uses those double stops in the guitar sound, which is like a classic 80s rock. It's incredibly uh, Death Leopard. You know, you could imagine... Mutt Lang sat in a studio, and Phil Collins plays that. And it's like, oh my god, we've got to press record. (laughs) Um, It's just, it's just perfect. Um, Also, the other thing it kind of reminded me of was Mr. Big. This is a very Paul Stanley guitar part. Not Paul Stanley. Um, Oh, I've forgotten the name of the guitarist, Mr. Big. That's really awful.
0: (laughs) I'm going to have to. It's not Billy Sheehan. He's the bassist. Yes, Um... Billy Sheehan's
1: the bassist. It's.
0: Paul Gilbert, Paul Gilbert. That's
1: the reason why I was looking at that, because I was thinking of Paul Gilbert has a guitar, which is the reverse of the Paul Stanley guitar. So in my brain, I went to Paul Stanley first, obviously, when I was talking about a completely different person. Uh, But yeah, it's very much that Mr. Big style, like green-tinted 60s mind is exactly the same kind of riff, (laughs) to be honest with you. Um, And Paul Gilbert plays guitar very much in that way. It's very big expansive guitars. I could see him playing this or listening to it at least and really enjoying it. Um, And yeah, it's kind of like a a noodle along rock song and it kind of matches Mimish Moda in that sense of she was very direct wrestler. She is a badass. And I kind of, I want something that doesn't, she had so many roles within New Japan, not New Japan, within AJW like she was originally part of the Dream Architect, uh, sorry, the Tokyo Sweethearts tag team uh, with Minami Toyota, and that didn't quite work. And then she got put in the original LCO with Akira Hokuto and Exceed Mita, and she served her apprenticeship as Hokuto's right hand woman, getting her ear clipped on a regular basis because she'd done something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then the LCO came out on their own, and they were the baddest tag team of the nineties. You know, they were, they terrified people. It was just two normal-sized-looking wrestlers, but they were just
0: capable of so much evil. And it was great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, to me, I don't necessarily disagree, but I do think there is a bit of a styles clash at play here with this one. Because here you have this song that could be this heroic, you know, no-nonsense, classic hero theme for a woman who really wasn't that. Um, like you said, you know, LCO, look up any big match of theirs, they were not the chipper, golly gee, let's win this one for the fans <laughs> type of wrestlers. No, they were intense, rowdy, screaming bullies who would just have these intense, wild brawls with their opponents. And that type of style doesn't really mesh with this rather. Uh, traditional sound to me. Um, it it does have that hard rock edge to it and that drive to it too, of course, but it's not as frantic in tone as the LCO conveyed in their matches, James. No, I, I understand where you're coming from because like, Mima Shimoda was
1: like a pure classical wrestler in that sense. So if, if you look at her, kind of the tag team she had uh, with uh, Minami Toyota, the Tokyo Sweethearts, it suits that perfectly. You know, they were happy-go-lucky kind of high school kids with big hair. And, you know, they wore pineapple workout outfits and things like that. And it didn't work at all um, because Minami Toyota's is not like that. Mima Shimoda is not like that. So their great rivals at the time were Dream Walker, which was um Tessi Yamada. He ended up being Minami Toyota's partner. And at Tsukamita, he ends up being Mima Shimoda's partner. And it all clicks into the right places. Someone said the other day, was like greatest tag teams of all time. Someone said the Dudleys. And I'm like, the LCO would have stolen the Dudleys' lunch money and stuck their heads through tables. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were they were better than anybody else. So that's, that's, they were just that good. And uh, I, I still say they've, they've got a shout for the greatest tag team of
0: all time, it might be. Yeah, I watched a few LCO matches the other day. Um, I watched their match from the Big Egg Show. I watched a cage match against the J-Tops. <laughs> And then I watched a match against Kyoko Inoue and Aja Kong. And with all due respect to them, those are not the cleanest, smoothest, most well-worked matches in the world. But that wasn't the point either. The point was violence, intensity, aggression, chaos. Like during the Kyoko Asha tag, they're brawling around Korkin and there's there's tables and there's fire extinguishers going off. And <laughs> at one point they try to throw Kyoko in a way off of the balcony of Corkin. It's it's nuts. And again, that tone doesn't really come through with this particular song here, James. No, this just like just the the entire idea
1: of the LCR still terrifies me. Like the only team I've seen who've come close were uh, Medusa Complex, which is uh, Charlie Evans and Millie McKenzie the Australian-British tag team who I saw well, who 2019. Who, uh, they, they were Sendai Golf World Tag Team Champions, and they're very much that intense kind of uh, full-court press tag team like the LCO were. Sadly, we'll not see them again because Charlie Evans is staying in Australia and Millie McKenzie is signed with NXT UK. <sighs> Here we go. The things that could be. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the LCO were just just so intense all the time. Uh, I would also recommend their match against Aoki, Amida and Akino in Arceon when they turned up in Arceon and were like, "We're the LCO and we're better than all of you," and proceeded to beat seven shades of excrement out of Aja Kong and her uh, proteges,
0: and it was glorious. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the funny thing is that Mima, this this wild woman, this take no shit bully nowadays she works for new japan as a backstage helper yeah like she's the one in the backstage promo videos who gets JY white a chair and she's all like nice and sweet it's it's very amusing to see her in this kind of role here nowadays given her career james
1: i i'm wondering how many conversations she's had with jay i really do because there's there is there is some parallels there um and in, in his career and hers and Yeah, if she'd be the ideal person, you'd want handling talent as a road agent or just as a helper and offering advice at the right moment because she's still one of the best heels
0: I've ever seen. Yeah, she's the one where Jay cuts that amazing promo after Wrestle Kingdom where he falls over and is like, well, somebody fucking help me. She's the one who picks him up. So there's like an established relationship between them in those videos. She still manages in CMLL on occasion as well. Oh, right. Um, Okamura. Yeah. yeah. Okamura. yeah, yeah. So. Aren't they married in real life too? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So
1: there's, there's a big crossover between the Joshi women and and uh, luchadoras generally, you know, because of even more so than the men. I mean, you have fantastic fantastic tour, and obviously places like Osaka Pro and Shinoko Pro and UWA were, were very Japanese influenced, sorry, lucha influenced Japanese wrestling. But... A lot of the excursion that happened out of AJW were just straight to CMLL, um, and for Gaia it was UWA and and AAA. So there's uh, people like uh, Aoki Hamada, speaks for the Spanish and fluent Spanish, and wrestles for for AAA. Obviously, the father was Grand Hamada, who did the same kind of deal uh, with UWA Mexico as well as running his own promotion. So there's a lot of crossover between Lucha And uh, AJW, Akira Hokuto was CMW, CML, rather, uh, World's Women's Champion. So, yeah, there's a lot more crossover with women than you'd actually think, but there is.
0: Well, speaking of wild women and uh, speaking of cool names for wrestlers, up next, we'll look at the theme for Dump Matsumoto, which, if you don't know who she is, picture a woman named Dump Matsumoto, that's her, just a real big bad motherfucker. Uh, dump, a member of the villainous alliance with fellow batty Bull Nakano, among others, and all Japan women's. And her theme is by the Black Sounds Orchestra, off of Pro Wrestling Q3D. This is Black Devil. So this song is rather fascinating, I think, and rather eclectic, too, because it's a funky jam with the bass line and these swaggery guitars, beep boops with the keyboards, the heavily modified robotic voice. So it's rather futuristic sounding at times, but then it devolves into like a 70s pop song with the female singers and the hand claps, the bongos, and then it's back to the funky future jam. (laughs) I'm <laughs> sorry, So it's a very striking song. Um, but then again, Dump was a very striking woman. So I think they kind of go hand in hand there, James.
1: Yeah. This, the, the Dump's on a different planet. She's it's just like. You, you look at the women that AJW had up until her, and this Jaguar coat of the big star, and, and there was the. The. Um, the. The. I'm trying to remember. The beauty pair. There we go. And Jackie Sato, and they're very classically styled Japanese women in the body shape and you know even like um, the heels they had were big but they weren't like monstrously big and then comes Dump Matsumoto and she just doesn't care it's not that she doesn't care about what you think of her, she doesn't care about you or anyone else and she wrestles with just sheer abandon. The rules are merely an inconsequential thing about a wrestling match. They're there to be ignored. All she focuses on is the person in front of her. And it's just like, I don't know of anyone who really absorbed a wrestling character the way Dump Natsumoto did. She's just just on a different planet and she needs a theme tune that's on a different planet. And this theme tune is pretty out there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, listening to it, the thing that... Obviously, you tend for a start, you don't tend to get too many listens to Don Matsumoto's theme because usually she's trying to stab somebody with a fork um, fairly early on in proceedings. So it doesn't get all the way through. But the thing that it reminded me of most of all was Zappa. Like, it's very Frank Zappa, 1970s. Um, the way that they use the intervals, the instrumentation for it, the complexity to it as well. You know, it's kind of like 7... Like I can imagine Adrian Ballou having a great gem over this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's very much that style of techno kind of maths rock that that Zappa really pioneered in that time period when kind of studio technology caught up with what he was trying to say as a musician, and he could afford the performers that he wanted. You know, if you were in Zappa's band, you were as good as it got because uh, you had to be, because there were very few people on the planet who could play the stuff that he wanted to play, and this reminds me of that. It's a little bit straighter, it's a little bit more pop, but it's very much in that mold of just out-there rock from the 1970s, and Zappa was kind of the king of that.
0: Yeah, again, recurring motif here so far, with the contrast between wrestler and theme. Dump is this you know, big, mean, scary-looking woman, and then you have that middle portion there in a song. Um, lyrics are a little hard to make out with the accents, <laughs> but you can pick up lines like, Give me, give me life of fire. Leave me, leave me loving peace of heart. I wish die for my cause. It's my life. Like, those are not necessarily lines or vocals for a heel, like Dump. Especially the vocals, which to me are more akin for people like the Crush Gals or whomever. You know, proper faces. So... If it was just the funky part with the robot voice and the beep boops, I think it would make a lot more sense as an overall theme. But those nice poppy vocals in there, they are quite jarring. And they do make this theme stand out in the context for someone like Dump.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: it's Dump's Dump unique wrestler. I think as well in this time
1: period, they weren't... They haven't quite got the overall presentation right yet. And if you think about it, like the big names prior to this point... And all sung their own theme tunes. Like the beauty pair had hit singles. jaggy Yokota has been touring in a band ever since she retired as a wrestler. Well, like the first retirement as a wrestler. I don't think she will ever retire. But you know, she Jagu Yokota, is the, like a, a, a high line punk singer. You know, in Japan, she has she has a band. She's she's pretty fair, pretty famous as a singer as she is as a wrestler. Dump wasn't going to be singing anything. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I just speak then, you know, you can tell that there is there is not a singing voice in there. There may be a screaming voice in there, but there's not a singing voice in there. And and again it's like how do you write a piece of music to match Dump Matsumoto? Like she is just, just insane.
0: So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean maybe it is a product of like, you know, the era where so much of 70s and 80s Joshi is tied into pop music at large. Mm. We talked last time about the Crush Gals having their own albums and singing their own theme. Uh, same with like the Jumping Bomb Angels, too. Um, and the funny thing is, you know, you mentioned Dump not having a good singing voice. She has an album, too, yeah. called Dump the Heel, where she sings like metal songs, which is very appropriate for her, I think. So, yeah, it is weird to think of some big and scary heel like Dump Having the poppy singing aspect to her in any way, but again, that might just be part of the culture of Joshi at the time.
1: Yeah, one of the oddest things I ever saw in wrestling was one of the early Marvelous shows. Marvelous is the promotion that's currently owned by Chigusa Nagayo, and when she first started Marvelous, she was kind of like experimenting with the presentation of wrestling because Chigasaw was always interested about the the cult of pro wrestling, and and because she is essentially a large part of that cult. Um, and trying to figure out different ways of presenting stuff and one of their early shows which was kind of a poorly attended show because they were a new promotion but she had Dump tagging uh, with someone who I can't remember but Nagayo um, Nagayo's band played all the themes so there's a point where Dump Matsumato is stood in the ring listening to Chigusa Nagayo, her lifelong nemesis, singing her theme tune and it's weird <laughs> <laughs> Because Dump just kind of stands there and goes, eh, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> just taps the Singapore cane on the top rope along to the music, nods appreciatively, and then the faces come out. And then, then she them. So, you
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I was also reading some stuff about Dump, too. And she has had a rather interesting life, for sure. Because um, there's this translated autobiography I found online from Tokyo Sports... And the reason she became a wrestler in the first place was so she could have the strength to kill her dad. I mean, that that's a mood right there. Like, her dad was this bad guy, and she wanted to kill him. That's the impetus for her being a wrestler. And later on, during the feud with the Crush Gals and Shigusa Nagayo, the fans hated her so much, she got legit death threats. And one guy broke a bottle and stuck it against her chest. Like... That's real heat, brother. Oh, like yeah. there's normal wrestling heat and then there's that. So it's just it's amazing to read all the struggles she went through in her youth and becoming a wrestler and becoming the most hated woman in Japan pretty much. It's incredible.
1: It, it's see this is the thing, you know, for every kind of like uh babyface greatness, you have to have the heel. You don't have Boba Brazil if you don't have the Sheik. You know, and this was a level of heat that was so insane. You have to watch it. You just have to. There's no other way of describing it. I cannot convey in words how over the Crush Girls were and how overdone Matsumoto was as a heel. It's just, it's insane. You watch those matches, like um, there's AJW Classics, which I'm sure you can find online, in various different places, which was uh, like a weekly TV show where they put on like best matches and it's crush girls versus dump and ball mccano and there's teenage girls in the building that are just screaming and it doesn't stop the whole match goes on for like best of three falls 45 minutes they're going back and forth and it just doesn't stop there is just no let up in the noise for 45 minutes it's like being at a justin bieber concert um but and it just goes on and on and on and on and it's just you know there there are people who think they're over, but they're not Crush Girls or Dump Matsumoto over. And there never will be any one Crush Girls or Dump Matsumoto over. Because Matsumoto was just that intense. She genuinely looked like she wanted to kill the people she was in front of.
0: You know, it's, it, it. you can't do that anymore. You just can't. It can't be done. No, no. <laughs> no uh, death threats are a bit frowned upon these days, I think. <laughs> Yeah, but it it it's wrestling's too friendly in that sense.
1: Jay White's the uh, the only guy that gets close to being getting genuine dislike heat. And he isn't even well, he's not anywhere near this level of over. You know Jay White, MJF gets heat, but it's kind of he's doing it to be popular, if you see what I mean. He's still entertaining with it. Dunn wasn't there to entertain you. She she was there to make things worse, just all the worse. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So we've played a bunch of All Japan Women's themes so far. Let's play a theme for someone who used to be an All Japan Women's for a little bit, but then became a much bigger star in the 90s as part of FMW. It's Megumi Kudo, a deathmatch legend, Joshi or otherwise, known for all sorts of crazy matches back in the day. Kudo's theme is by Project FMW off of the album Theme of the F. It's called One Way Heart. I love this song. I love the combo of those big, epic guitars and the staccato piano notes, dun, 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 dun. and that big guitar solo later on. It gets the blood pumping. It's very exciting. And in a place like FMW, where it's this big-time atmosphere with all sorts of crazy brawls and deathmatches and so forth, you want a song that will convey that level of excitement and atmosphere. And this song does a good job in doing that, I think. Um, to me, it's like a more updated harder version of Mima's theme where it doesn't really stand out as this unique thing but it still works really well as a theme what do you think James?
1: Yes it's it's a brilliant interpretation of like the character of Maguna Kudo you know, it's in the sense she's kind of like FMW's Mima Shimoda on the Nami Toyota so she was the girl next door she was meant to have mass appeal and she certainly did have mass appeal um, and it kind of rocks along fmw had really good choices for their theme songs you know anita's theme's amazing you know it's just perfect for him and this is kind of perfect for the kudo um and kudos that it the bit that always kind of strikes me with kudo is like here is this clearly successful woman who is incredibly good looking and is incredibly athletic and you wonder how she ends up in the middle of this double hell death no rope exploding barbed wire, death match <laughs> because it's like how did your life lead you to be here <laughs> uh, so I know how your life leads you to be here and I'm still not sure I quite understand all of it but it's the choice you made and by gum you were the best hardcore wrestler ever so yeah she's awesome and the music has to match that She's on a she's on a kind of a different plane of thought than most of the baby faces of her era, but she's just as good as them. And she, which is kind of the FMW story, she was the the one that got away from AJW. Her and Combat Toyota will let go because they weren't good enough. And it's like I do the Troopany show with uh, Chelsea Spollen, and her reaction was, "They weren't good enough." How how were they not good enough? And it and it basically boiled down they weren't developing fast enough and combat was kind of getting lost because she was uh, in Bonn Makano's group and they kind of already had uh, Aja Kong and you know the, the, she could see the writing on the wall that if she was going to be Monster Heel, AJW wasn't the place it was going to be and the um couldn't get forward traction but she was in the class of eighty six. The class of 86 included Akira Hokuto and Aji Kong, as well as Combat Toyota and Mimi Shimoda. Uh, sorry, not Mima Shimoda, Um, Shimoda, uh, Suzuki Minami. And then the class of 87 comes along and it's Toshiyama and Minami Toyota and Akira, uh, sorry, um, Takoka win away, Kiyoka win away. It is literally the greatest wrestlers of all time in one class. And she just couldn't get her uh, head fast enough, and AJW let her go. And she ended up being a kindergarten teacher. And Atsushi Anita finds her in a kindergarten and says, would you like to come and wrestle for this new promotion? I want to take on the world. <laughs> and, and Megumi Kudo says, yes, strange man, with
0: the plaster on your forehead, I will come and work for you. And Forget the markers. Here's some barbed wire. Let's go. Come on.
1: And And she... You can actually see like if you watch those matches from 1990 i literally have seen every one of her big street fights and she's there in combat start off and it's clear they don't really know what they need to be doing in 1990 when they have their first street fight it's not barbed wire it's just a regular street fight and by the time they have combat's retirement match in 96 six years later they're perfect it's the best of all the double hell death exploding barbed wire matches there was a couple of call-outs in it in the John Moxley-Kenny uh, Omega match the other week from that, specifically from that match, if you if you know that match well. So, you know, it kind of like it gained in its notoriety because of that. And she was, for a long time, Megumi Kudo was the biggest draw in women's wrestling. She, she held the record for headlining her and Sharks' uh, So Sorry, everyone's from pronouncing her name, Sharks' year. Uh, held the record for a mixed-gender wrestling card, live attendance, which was 14000 at the Gumi Kudo's retirement show at Yokohama Arena, and that was only bested by the Wrestlemania with Becky Lynch and Ronda Rousey and Shelfar. So that will tell you how big a
0: deal she was. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like a big-time theme. It just has that feeling, like a, like a four-pillar theme, that yeah. epic, this song means business mentality. There's no... Cutesy synths or hand claps or whatever. <laughs> it's just a badass theme from start to finish. And yeah, you think of Kudo as this total badass wrestling in crazy barbed wire matches against Combat and Shark. It totally fits. Um, but again, there is a little bit of contrast too because Megumi Kudo is this lovely woman in a nice pink and white outfit. Very cute, very approachable. And then, oh, here comes the blood <laughs> and the barbed wire and the explosions. Let's get crazy. So, yeah, it's amazing to see that this nice-looking, presentable woman is one of the icons of hardcore wrestling alongside these grizzled, um, for lack of a better term, crusty guys (laughs) like Mick Foley and and Terry Funk and Onita and Mr. Pogo, Abdul the Butcher, like all these crazy, scarred-up, disgusting-looking legends, and she's right there with them. And I think this badass theme helps with the credibility too.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you say like the four pillars, I think if you had the four pillars of FMW, it would have to be Anita, Pogo, Combat, and Nagumi Kudo. They were the ones that held the whole thing together. And we, we myself, and John Dinsdale, who who joins me on the Troopany Show, we just watched like the last big FMW shows, and it's amazing how quickly it fell apart when they all left. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, oh dear, oh. So yeah, um, but yeah, kudos. Kudo's just great. I just love watching her wrestle. Um, she's just fantastic. And what uh, you if we're talking about the like start, in, it's intimidating to go and find all this stuff. There's loads of Kudo stuff out there. And she's just absolutely classic babyface. And you, you should
0: watch her. And a lot of people, a lot of wrestlers should watch her on how to be a great baby face. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, um, her previous theme to this is a song called Keep On Running, which she sang. And that's a total pop rock anthem. Like it's inspiring and driven and hopeful. So it's kind of like how with this theme, she's a lot harder now and grittier and all that poppy fun has been beaten and bloodied out of her in those death matches. <laughs> so there's a fun contrast there too. Um, but uh, but yeah, Kudo is awesome. I mean, she invented the Kudo May Valentine, which is the vertebraker, the Cop Killer. I mean, that alone, she deserves to be lauded for the rest of time because that move is so sick. <laughs>
1: Yeah, she she also had great dives too. She was like, um, she was as good an aerial wrestler as a lot of people who are, uh, for a time, certainly. You know, she she was she was double tough. She could mat wrestle. Some of the best matches I saw her in were her and combat tagging against Nami Toyota and Toshi Yamada at uh, the anniversary shows and, and at uh, Dream Slam one. Uh, they were outstanding together as a tag team, you know. They kind of like coded combat was the big heel at the time and, and Megumi was the big face. And they were like, right, let's bury the hatchet because we've got to go wrestle the AJW girls. And then they go against Akira Okoto and Bull Nakano, and they got beaten pillar to post for 20 minutes. <laughs> and it's like, no, nope, right, I'm going to pick ourselves up and have another go. And then it, then it was Toyota and Yamada and they beat them. So it was like, right, okay, we've right the world. Now let's go on with our own lives. <laughs> but yeah yeah she's she's just um she's just one of her kind you just can't get the just the intensity that she had and the style that she had from just such a classical styled wrestler you know classic Joshi wrestler put into this otherworldly environment and she made it work and that this is the kind of thing is as well is that they learnt so quickly you know you you look at Terry Funkin at Sushi and I think it was the third or fourth anniversary show. And by the time they get to the sixth anniversary show, they have this bank of knowledge and videotape they get to watch to figure out what to do. And Toyota and
0: Kudo are just perfect. They're flawless. It's like the best version of what that style of wrestling should be. So up next, we'll play the theme for Dynamite. Not the AEW show. <laughs> not the kid. Not the catchphrase from Good Times. No, it's Dynamite Kansai. Who was part of all sorts of promotions back in the day, uh, AJW, JWP, Gaia, Oz Academy. One of her themes in JWP is by a Danish band called Pretty Maids off their debut album Red Hot and Heavy. It's called Night Danger. I think of joshi i don't often think of danish speed metal but here we are <laughs> and you know for someone with a name like dynamite kansai it fits for sure and also that's true for her style as well because she kicks ass literally go watch the asha kong match from big egg she is kicking that woman in the face very hard so having this intense crushing metal song that's about danger and the devil and all that stuff and it starts with that maniacal laugh too it's all very appropriate james
1: yeah it's this very kind of theatrical rock um kind of theatrical metal thing i've got a playlist to my friend dara who who presents wrestling rewind which is another treatment show uh, podcast he actually plays in a a performance death metal band where they do like dramatic rock so like everything's like a full on stage performance with costumes and makeup. Um, it kind of reminded me of that kind of style of music. It's like, it's like the most dramatic thing for the most dramatic wrestler because Dynamite's so intense. Like she's, the, the the thing is with Dynamite is just like when she goes to a ring and she's prepping and she's quietly in the corner and you just hear her kicking into corner pads, thunk, thunk, thunk. and it's all about intimidation because she's just that bit bigger and that bit thicker and that bit more muscly than the women she was wrestling at the time. She wasn't monster size like Kong, or she wasn't monster size like Dunmatsumoto. She was just that bit bigger. So she focused everything on her attack and her ability to to hurt you. That's really what she's after. And Kansai was just brilliant at that. Just like that intimidation factor Um, and the matches that she had So, specifically in JWP, which was where she started, were based around that because a lot of the JWP women were smaller and more kind of classically trained. They were Jackie Sato students of the the beauty fair. She was the person that kind of founded JWP before she sadly passed away. Um, They were much more based around the classical Joshi style, and she
0: brought something very, very different to what JWP was about. And the lyrics make Jungle Emperor seem even more cartoonish in comparison. Racing with the devil in the middle of the row. If you're gonna lose, the devil's gonna take you down there below. The darkness has the power, and it has come to rule. You better pray for your life. An evil circle. You better beware. You better take care, or you're gonna die. You better watch out, and don't let it out. That's a far cry from away, 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 away... (laughs) Um, But again, it's a real 80s metal song. It's what you expect. And comparatively, this is definitely the hardest and most intense song on today's episode, All Things Considered. Um, But like you said, intensity and Dynamite Kansai go hand in hand. So overall, the music and the lyrics, it's par for the course, James.
1: Yeah, it's... um, Yeah, she's just so... It it, was talking about like um, AJW not necessarily matching the song to the wrestler correctly. JWP got that bit right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because it is just like, she's, yeah, it matches her down to a T. And that straight ahead style is like, you need a straight ahead theme. You need something that's very direct. And again, she's a kind of larger than life character. She's not like, She's a baby face, really. So she isn't like a deep, dark character like Don would be, or if Paul would be. So she needs something that kind of like announces her presence, and this is really where she's at.
0: I was trying to find out why this band of all bands was used, because like with Judas Priest, everyone knows them around the world, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, but with Pretty Maids, I had never heard of them before outside of this context. And as it turns out on their Wikipedia page, it says over the years, pretty maids have sold hundreds of thousands of records, but have never broken through in a major way, except in Japan during the 1990s. There you go. So yeah, they were the proverbial big in Japan to use that phrase. So maybe it was a case where either Dynamite or someone in JWP liked their music and wanted to use it. I don't know for sure, but the use of a random band like Pretty Maids in general makes a bit more sense given their success in Japan during this time period. Yeah, I'm big in Japan, especially
1: this time of uh, this era, like the 90s, the late 80s and 90s. Uh, technical guitar is still like a big, big deal in Japan. You know, um, people like Paul Gilbert, who we talked about earlier, and Marty Friedman, who was former guitarist from Megadeth. Are massive stars in Japan, and Marty Friedman is a good example. He started touring Japan in the late '80s, and when he started touring Japan as a solo artist before he before he got picked up by bigger bands to play for them, they they were basically touring with no money. They could basically basically not make food. (laughs) You know, they they were essentially paying to tour, but they they meant they could earn a living as professional musicians. It's where they cut their teeth, but uh that technical side of guitar playing has been kind of loved in japan i'm a big fan of a girl called lisa x uh she's a youtuber in fact i bought this guitar you can't see it but i bought this guitar it's a great radio this essentially because i saw it and i was like that's like lisa rex's guitar ah completely fanboying out for someone who at the time was 14 years old because she's like this 14-year-old guitar prodigy and she does really cool stuff with guitar. you go find her on YouTube. There's loads of stuff now. She's about 16 years old now. And she tours internationally. <laughs> her and her brother have a band. And it's, but it's that culture of technical guitar. Um, and, but it means like a lot of these things were influenced by that. And certainly, like that Big in Japan thing is real. You know, like Mr. Big, as we were saying about, I've seen videos of them playing like Budokan Hall. When I know they can't they can't fill a 2,000-seater in Minnesota, but they'll, if they go back together tomorrow, they could go do, you know, Budokan Hall and do 13,000, no problem.
0: Well, that's true for a lot of metal bands, I think. Um, not just in Japan, either. You know, look at a band like Iron Maiden, who, yeah, they do well in the States, but they go to, like, Europe or South America, and they're selling out stadiums everywhere. So it is pretty amazing to see how, with metal... It may not have the mainstream appeal in America that it used to, but you go to another country or continent, and it's still just massively popular with so many people.
1: Oh, Maiden in Indonesia! You would not believe it. I watched a documentary Maiden Tour. It was on BBC one night, and they went to Indonesia. They played this football stadium, sixty thousand, as many women in there as there were men, because you could see the hijabs they were wearing. or went to see Maiden, and I'm like, really? <laughs> Okay, all right then. Maiden. There you go. Biggest Muslim democracy in the world, they love their maiden.
0: <laughs> yeah, um well you name dropped Marty Friedman earlier. Remember, he played guitar during Tanahashi's entrance at Wrestle Kingdom a few years ago. Yeah. And Tanahashi was air guitaring with him. Yeah. So you talk about influence. I mean Tanahashi is one of the greatest wrestlers and biggest stars ever. His whole thing is guitar and rock and roll. So it's right there with him too. Yeah, it's it's the ideal kind of like balance point of rock guitar,
1: you don't get too many wrestlers coming out to classical music themes. It's a mankind, I suppose. But it is that driving rock guitar is kind of still it's to do with appealing to everyone. You know, no one gets angry at like an eighties. Rock song, do they? Like, you know, Brian Adams or Death Leopard or uh Warrant. Well, people get married angry at Warrant than they should do. Um, but you know, they get they get don't get angry at that kind of sweet cherry pie kind of wrestling uh kind of music. And it kind of associates with the big wrestling names of the time, but it kind of like it's a catch all, it's universal, you know, it's I was interested in thinking about this, like at the time, like musically speaking, we're talking like 96 of a lot of these songs, 94, nevermind had come out, you know, but you aren't hearing any of these white women coming out to kind of like Soundgarden, the Nirvana-y, Pearl Jammy kind of, uh, you know, CL rock music, because that doesn't, that doesn't get the blood pumping in the same way. It, that's kind of introspective and kind of, personal to the person to the to the people who are playing it and it's relatable in a different way whereas kind of like hard driving rock music is route 66 and a corvette kind of deal isn't it it's, it's very it's it's a it's an attainable dream you know that kind of music that it gives you a certain sense of place in the world so i think that's that's the thing It's like they tend to pick anthems that are A, driving because you've kind of got to get them to the ring. They also have to have momentum to get them there so that the performance doesn't slow down, but also to make it uh, approachable so that the actual wrestlers are approachable and you're connecting them with something that's um, inoffensive but kind of, um, I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for, aspirational is the word I'm looking for, that's it. You know, I want to be like this person. You know, that's a big thing, especially with AJW fans because the fans of AJW up until this point were teenage girls. They they, they were looking to be why why wouldn't you want to be Chigason a She beats people up for a living and looks cool, you know? So that's that's kind of the, the thing they're going for. And it gets a bit more complex in the nineties because like boys start watching women's wrestling and that's when it goes rubbish. No, <laughs> I'm joking. Um, but uh, boys do start watching women's wrestling, men start watching women's wrestling, and it starts being appreciated in the same way as say, all Japan was at the time, or New Japan was at the time. And it's like, you actually look back at it now, and New Japan really technically wasn't as good (laughs) as the other things around it, which is amazing to say, considering the stars they had at the time. But it's like AJPW had like the four pillars and Hanson and uh, Doc and Gordy, and AJW had this, Raft of great recruits from the late 80s and FJWP would, were really making a scene, and LLPW had all this talent as well, and FMW did, and they were doing these different things. So, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Like this era and the music they pick is very much more generic to make it more attainable, but more relatable
0: to the people that are doing it. That was a long way round, long way around, ranting round to get to my point. Sorry. that's okay don't worry about it Um, that's why we're here you know long rants about music is why we're here so So the second to last theme of the episode is for Takako Inoue uh, best known as the tag partner for Kyoko Inoue and All Japan Women's Uh, Double Inoue was the team no relation funny enough just a strange coincidence there uh, NOA's theme is by Dennis Gunn, who did Aja's theme earlier, so there he is again, and Taizo Koshiba, it's off of Complete All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling, and it's called She's a Knockout. So I can't express just how much I love this song. Uh, it's, it's. I was basi- wondering whether you did or not. Sorry to interrupt, but I was wondering whether you would or not or whether you would think it was hokey. It's basically the best song that 80s Billy Joel never wrote. <laughs> it's so poppy and dancey and catchy and got the harmonies in there, the synths going, the gang vocal, one, two, three, go, knock out. It is as far away from Night Danger as as you can get, but I love it. And the fact that it's a wrestling theme of all things is just tremendous, James. I love it so much. <laughs> are, you, are you going to have a Dennis Gunn playlist by the end of this episode? <laughs> well, at, le- at least two songs
1: anyway. But At uh, least yeah. two songs, <laughs> yeah. Um, more, <laughs> more Dennis Gunn in our lives. Yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's fun. And you Koko know, Coco, in a way, is kind of like harmless fun as a wrestler. I don't mean that to be dismissive. It sounds very patronizing. She isn't. She isn't. She's an exceptionally good, talented professional wrestler. And Takoko Inouye is one of these people who just came around at the wrong time. If Takoko Inouye walked in, into AEW now, she would be a flat out superstar within a week because she was that good. She was exceptionally gifted as a professional wrestler. She just had that much competition around her at the time. It's not that she was ever bad, it was just that everyone was so much ahead of her. and. Um, but yeah, but like, like as a tag team wrestler, she was she was incredible. As a singles wrestler, she was very good as well. Um, and this thing kind of matches her; she is kind of the girl next door, and it, it all kind of clicks with her, like, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, the story of the song is also amazing because it's about a guy who is in love with this pretty girl, but the twist is she kicks ass too. Like she is quote a heavy-duty, bathing-beauty gladiator queen. And all she does is do wrestling moves on him and beat him up. And that makes him love her more. So he's basically a masochist, is the story. And it's got lines like, She dislocated my spine. I knew I had to make the lady mine. Yet the lady's got charm. She melted my heart while she twisted my arm. She's my favorite playmate, but she plays so rough. I think I'm gonna be dead before I get enough. Oh. I love her. I live to bemoan each bruise. She wins every time, but when I'm with her, you know, I just just can't lose. Like, if you look at the story, it's so bizarre, but at the same time, it, it's oddly cute and charming and fitting for in a way, too, because, yeah, she's a beautiful girl, looks lovely, but she'll kick your ass. So, yeah. it's a charming, funny, and very catchy song, and it's so weird, and I just I enjoyed so much, James. <laughs>
1: it does kind of like, like Kiyoki Inoue's song that we looked at in the last episode we did together, which was, is very kind of like Van Halen derivative throwaway pop rock, um, but it matched her kind of happy-go-lucky character. And and Tio Koko, in a way, isn't happy-go-lucky in that same sense Kiyoki Inoue is, even to this day. She's still massively enthusiastic about professional wrestling. And you can tell that by the way she wrestled, whereas Kyoko, uh, sorry Takako, in a way was a bit more reserved, but she was still a kick-ass wrestler, and she was still a technically gifted wrestler as well. You know, she was like Minami Toyota kind of standards of good on the mat, and um, and she knew how to sell, like they all did. Um, it's, but yeah, it matches her really well. And I, 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 there's a few red flags in there, I think we would say, by modern lyrical standards. I think he needs to use metaphor a little better <laughs> uh, rather than the direct. It did reminds me of, there's a song called oh, um, Ultimate Devotion, which is like a 90s punk song and we're about a masochistic relationship. And like the lyrics are very, very similar to this, but he's being serious about his dominatrix, and he isn't being serious about Takoko anyway. We hope, thankfully. Um, so... It is it is a laugh, this song, but it also does
0: suit the, the subject matter very, very well. Yeah, I just admire the creativity to make a song like this in the first place, because you could do your standard badass instrumental or your standard I'm going to beat you up, I'm the best kind of theme, but to do a song from the perspective of a smitten, masochistic lover boy is <laughs> rather unique. So hats off to Dennis Gunn for this and just theme, just you know, just two memorable themes for one reason or another.
1: <laughs> as, as he did indeed read the line when uh, God made the devil just for fun and even when they wanted the real thing, he made RJ Kong, then obviously, clearly, he is a lyrical genius and what do I know? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I would,
0: I, yes, I agree. We'll give Dennis the benefit of the doubt because clearly a better lyricist than I am. So the final theme of the episode here is for Mariko Yoshida, who was in All Japan Women's back in the 90s. But when the promotion went bankrupt in 97, she left to form a new promotion with Aja Kong and a few others called Arceon, which is now defunct, unfortunately. Yoshida's theme is by Robert Miles off the album Dreamland. It's called Fable. Tell me a thing. A lot of pop and rock and metal in this episode but we'll take a left turn here with some house music some trance a little bit of ambient in there too the very ethereal vocals tell me a fable um, I-, I do enjoy this music on occasion no lie uh, and uh, and the reason I picked it is because it's the most modern theme of the episode the most recent theme yeah and from my viewpoint and my imperfect knowledge it represents a changing of the guard with joshi themes where in the past you had the more straightforward rock and synth hybrids and maybe some metal in there for the more, you know, heavy hitters and and badasses and whatnot. But as time goes on, Joshi themes are shifting more towards electronica and techno and dance. Not completely, of course, but you look at a lot of themes in, like, stardom nowadays. They're very electronica heavy. So there was a shift into this electro style, and I think Yoshida's theme represents that in some way, James.
1: Yeah, I mean, as well, like it's a shift in Yoshida as well. When Yoshida was in AJW, she was kind of your more traditional women's wrestler. And then when she goes to Arceon, she becomes this badass shoot fighter because the style of Arceon is very shoot orientated. And so she kind of changes her tack as a professional wrestler. And that the- this theme kind of matches that. She's not like. Um, a stand-up fighter like Dynamite Kansai, you'd expect something driving and, and forward-pitched. And she's not... A, she is a badass, but she's not a badass in the Arju Kong kind of monster way. And she's not a girl next door either. You know, she when she comes, starts with Arsio and she comes to the ring wearing a Spider-Man-inspired like, PVC catsuit with shoe-shoes and you know, a killer armbar combination. And, of course, she invented the Air Raid Crash which is the finisher for Drew McIntyre and a bunch of other people uh, in North America now. But, you know, like all great wrestling moves, it was invented by Josh in the 90s. So, <laughs> so um, you know, she's, uh, she's, she's different and she needs a different theme. And this kind of matches that in that sense. But I think you're absolutely right. The other thing about this is um, stardom is, of course kind of run, well, it's owned and operated by Bushy Road, which is the parent company of New Japan, but for the longest time, and he's still the general manager of the organization, it was run by Rossi Agal, who was, who was the founding promoter of Arceon. So there, there is a lot of sandboxing goes on in Arceon that you see in uh, Stardom now. They were the first company that, I can never remember the name of the whole, but there's a, I think DDT from their shows there now as well, Stardom do that big stained glass window building. I never remember the name of it, but they were the first, Arsene were the first company to run there. They kind of changed the style and the presentation of pro wrestling. Everyone had a license. Aja Kong was the president of the company. Her license was number one. Um, And then they gave licenses to all the people who joined the company. So you had a wrestling license and they had ranking systems. It's very much like AEW trying to run a company now in a very serious wrestling way but there was also more dramatic storylines to it. And they were also uh, training with battle arts, so it was much more shoot-style orientated. And they picked up a bunch of people who weren't getting traction in other places. So, um, you know, the LCO came over in 98 from AJW. The, um, I'm trying to think if Ayoki Amada had her start there, Akino had her start there. Uh, Fabio Apache had her first Japanese tours when she was 18 there. You know, Arceon had deep connections in very different places uh, because Rossi Ugoa started working for AJW early in his career and kept those connections. And, you know, he's still influential today. There were still some mistakes in Arceon, but Arceon probably, I could describe Arceon between 98 and 2000 as one of perhaps my all-time favorite wrestling promotions. It was more or less perfect wrestling for three or so years, um, and they had some un- ungodly matches as well. And it was it was just really tight, well done professional wrestling. And Yoshida was embodied that she was like the the the, the vessel through which Arceon flowed very much so in the same way, say like a or Tanahashi is for New Japan now, um, and. Yeah, I, I I like this theme tune. It's not my cup of tea musically, but it matches her because it's so different.
0: Yeah, it works too in that she was in All Japan Women's before Arceon, obviously. And her theme there was a song called Butterfly Magic, which sounds more in line with other All Japan Women's themes like Mima's theme and whatnot, um, that guitar-synth-instrumental hybrid. Very straightforward, very traditional. But then she leaves and forms Arcyon. And she gets this song, which sounds totally different than what she had before. So it kind of represents her own change as well with this new promotion and new era of her career. So I don't have a ton to say about it, but I just wanted to feature it to show that kind of changing of styles in regards to Joshi music. Um, and that's in line with music in general. You know, music trends change all the time as genre has become more or less popular over the years. So it makes sense there too, I think.
1: Yeah, it's, it's very much kind of like a rave culture application to wrestling, but this is a bit more chilled out, thankfully. Uh, I, I will say Arsene also had the worst name for a wrestling event ever, categorically, when they named their first show.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, opening, something about uh, Virgin, I think, right?
1: Opening Virgin. Not just Virgin, Opening Virgin. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, whoa! No, so yes. So uh, thankfully, they have learnt some of their lessons uh, in modern day standards. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, uh, it was Arceon was great at the time for what it was, and it was a great kind of idea. Um, like all things, it kind of fell off the rails when the original impetus left, Arja Kong left um Conway in '99, I think it was, um, and over a dispute with Rossi about various things which is the reason why she will never appear for stardom because they're still kind of in dispute all these years later um or it'd be very I wouldn't say she'd never appear for stardom because never say never in professional wrestling but I would say she's very unlikely she would appear for stardom um and it's yeah it's Arsene was great and more people should watch some more Arsene because it was really cool and there's loads of it available on the internet as well with there's another thing easy to pick up shows. There's a couple of live shows from '98 that you can see that are just kind of standard stock wrestling shows that are a bit fluff and throwaway, but they're fun to watch. So you should have a look at them.
0: Yeah, I-, I watched a few Yoshida matches from Arceon, and I understand her importance and you know her being a founder and all that. But I wasn't really a fan of her style that much because she is yeah she's very grapple heavy, and I like that occasionally, um, mostly when it's done with some form of dynamism, like. Sex Sabre Jr. or Jonathan Gresham but the matches I watch, she was kind of dry to me and I wasn't really feeling it um but that's just my own taste of course you know I know she's a good wrestler it's just it, it wasn't for me.
1: Yeah I think you know it's um Arsene really got cooking with Okimada. um this is, this is another thing as well this is all the other things that were just wrong with Arsene Uh, They actually followed, uh, they they actually showed uh, Aoki Mada's high school uh, graduation, counting down the days to when she would become a professional wrestler. And it was like, (laughs) "Mm, really? (laughs) Do we we want to be doing that now? Um, But yeah, uh, so when Aoki Mada came along and it was kind of a bit more of a mix of lucha and shoot style, but still kind of tough brawling. A bit more watchable in that sense, but like Arceon itself became uh influential because it became the foundation for what came after. Uh, technically, it still does exist. A to Z Wrestling, which is Yamuki Hot's promotion, is essentially what Arceon was. She bought out the promotion when Rossi sold up before he kind of went on a hiatus before stardom. Um but it was basically a political mess and by the time she got to it and she kind of rescued it and lived it along ever since but it's not really the same promotion. Um, so yeah, it's it, Arsene was Arsene was kind of like the great sandbox for 2010's Joshi. I think that was, there was a lot more influence there and you can see it in certainly in stardom uh, and in seedlining and in
0: to a lesser extent TJPW. And uh Yoshida is retired now, of course, but she lives on in wrestling through her moves because KZ and Dragon Gate uses the spider twist as one of his finishers. Yes. So her influence is still being felt to this day. So
1: yeah, yeah. And the airway crash, Drew McIntyre, um, Gravy Train from LA Knight, as he is now known, uh Eli Drake, as he was formerly known. uh Arcada obviously uses uh, Air airbrake crash neckbreaker uh variation as well. So she was incredibly influential for the length of time she was wrestling. And I think there's probably there's probably a few wrestlers around today that kind of have taken on uh, Lindsay Snow a little bit, I think. And, uh, I, yeah, um, Sienna as well a little bit too, kind of taken on that kind of
0: mat-working badass that, that she was. Right, right. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Man. Thank you so much for listening. And, uh, James, thank you for being here. This was just so much fun having you on and getting back into the classic Joshi pool here. And uh, you are just like the Energizer Bunny because you just keep going and going and going (laughs) with this stuff. And I I mean that in the best possible way, of course, because your knowledge is very much appreciated and always welcome. So thank you.
1: Thank you very much. I greatly appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun to talk about. Joshy, again, uh, is so much in depth because it's still my favorite wrestling subject. Joshie never lets you down. There'll always be something you can find to learn about or something that's cool or some like the, the dumbass motor story, which I didn't know about, which was really, really cool. So you're always getting surprised about new stuff all the
0: time. Any plugs you want to give? Go right ahead.
1: Uh, you can follow me at Sheriff Blown Star on Twitter. If you'd like to have a chat about Joshie or professional wrestling generally, that would be cool. Um, trooping show drops every Monday on trooping show channel. And you can find that on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, all the places you get your podcasts from. Uh, the Today Out series will wrap up uh, the New Japan Cup and that'll be back uh, for Best of Super Juniors. And we have the wrestling rewind on there too. That's really cool if you like North American wrestling. And uh, Steelchair Magazine is ace. You should probably read that too.
0: Okay, cool, cool. And Music of the Met is, of course, part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. You can find all the great podcasts on there at voicesofwrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. If you want to discuss this episode or other topics, you can do so at the VOW Discord. That's voicesofwrestling.com slash Discord. If you want to donate to the show, you can do that too. Just go to voicesofrustlingcom slash donate and click the big donate button beneath the name Music of the Met. If you donate, hey, thanks so much. You're awesome. And of course, rate, review, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other places. James, thank you again and I'll see you around. Take care. Alright, for James TruePenny, I'm Andrew Rich. And I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys. Music of the Mat is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders.